Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. When the Confederacy launched its bid for independence in 1861, and had plenty of cotton, but no modern warships, indeed really no navy at all, the solution was obvious, sell some cotton in Great Britain and use the proceeds to buy the best that British shipyards could produce. The only problem was that British law prohibited the sales of arms to parties at war, so the purchases would have to be hidden from the British government as well as from the prying eyes of Union diplomats. Alexander Rose spins the tale of what happened next in The Lion and the Fox, Two Rival Spies and the Secret Plot to Build a Confederate Navy. We'll talk with the author tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the Brewster Building, third floor, office A320, on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina, but not speaking for E-C-U, not speaking for the Pirates, not speaking for the history department, not speaking for anyone but myself, as always, and my guest likewise represents no one but himself tonight on Civil War Talk Radio, as we always do. Well, it is dark outside because it's November 2022, the second show of the month. Uh, Daylight savings time has come to an end, and we all got to enjoy one hour of extra sleep last weekend in exchange for four months of soul-deadening darkness uh, when you walk home after work, uh, out to your car or wherever. Uh, doesn't quite seem a fair trade, but uh, but that's how things are. Uh, it's November, and that, of course, means it's also football season here. Uh, the Pirates of ECU had a bye last week, so I got to 
spend Saturday afternoon crawling under the house in the crawl space trying to clean out a dryer duct instead of watching football. Um, but in the evening, the Michigan Wolverines, my alma mater, played and uh, defeated their opponent. And then the two teams walked out through a single tunnel at Rutgers Stadium, where, where both teams go through the same exit. And no assaults took place this week. Interesting. Um for those not following the story, you can look it up. Uh, our brethren at Michigan State had difficulty accepting their defeat a couple weeks ago and uh, resulted resorted to post-game fisticuffs. Uh, not, let's move on from that unpleasant topic. Um, things here at ECU uh, continue along. It, it's, it's that time of the semester when we are looking forward to Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. Uh, uh, it's it's getting uh, it is dark outside. Uh, the midterm exams have come and gone. It, it's uh, it's the grind. Uh, the break is coming up soon, and we're we're looking forward to that. Classes though have gone reasonably well this semester. I mentioned I think a few weeks ago uh, that we are looking for a new department chair here at ECU. If you're in the academic world and interested in that sort of thing. Uh, go to ECU's website and hunt around. If you cannot actually find the department website and the job ad, then then you don't want the job. Uh, but if uh, if you're interested uh, and curious about it, you know, contact me directly. I'd be happy to give you more information about it. The uh, students are are doing well as well. I spoke a few weeks ago about the curious reluctance of students to take any chances. They're, they're all working hard, they want good grades, but they are uh, terrified of not, not doing well. Uh, and every week I try to find different methods to, to draw them out. I have one student now who rarely speaks up in class, but writes extremely perceptive questions uh, on email each week. Just says, oh, I was doing the reading and this really struck me, and, and then they have something very interesting to say. Um, I guess that's a reminder that some people are not natural talkers. That's hard to believe uh, for someone who makes a living talking, as, as I do. Uh, and I'm guessing many of you likewise uh, enjoyed school or at least history classes and maybe spoke up a few times. But some people keep it to themselves. Um, speaking of people who keep things to themselves or perhaps should keep things to themselves, other news this week, uh, the social media platform Twitter apparently has a new owner. I don't recall his name, but I gather he's ruffling feathers there, and it caused me to reconsider Civil War Talk Radio's presence on Twitter. Uh, I didn't have to consider it long because it turns out we don't have any presence on Twitter. I never uh, was able to bother figuring out how to do that, so uh, the program does not appear there. We do have our Facebook page, Impediments of War, and our website, Impediments of War, dot uh, org uh, that's where you can go I do have a personal Twitter uh, account it turns out and I, I checked the other day I now have two followers and I'm following four uh, ECU related accounts so if I were to, to join the exodus from Twitter or take both followers with me I don't that would be a blow to the empire uh, but in more useful social media uh, check out impediments of war and see what we're doing here at uh, Civil War Talk Radio. Mark Gaffney will, uh, who keeps the site up to date, reports that next week we'll have a show talking uh, 
again about foreign policy as we sort of indirectly are today uh next week book is bonds of war how civil war financial agents sold the world on the union david k thompson's the author I believe that is a first book for uh, Dr. Thompson. Then it'll be Thanksgiving. We'll come back the week after with Brad Gottfried. He's been on the show several times, has a book comparing the Antietam and Gettysburg campaigns. Donna McCreary will be our guest on December 7th with her new uh, book titled Mary Lincoln Demystified. And we'll finish up the fall season on the 14th of December, 2022 with Gary Gallagher, who needs no introduction. Uh, and he has written the introduction himself for a new edition of Bruce Canton's Army of the Potomac trilogy, now all in one volume from the Library of America, which is going to be very interesting to uh, to reread and see what, what Gary has done with it. And just to give a hint, when we come back after the winter break in January 2023, uh, Jim Sides will be with us. He's edited a book of letters between one uh, young woman in the North and 16 different soldiers. Uh, we'll see what that correspondence was about. Uh, we'll have Stephen Cowie with a, uh, a new book called When Hell Came to Sharpsburg. And Hampton Newsom will rejoin us. Uh, he's been on the show before, always interesting. Always, his books are always uh, a treat, and uh, we'll talk about his new book in January. So lots coming up. And just before we start, a quick plug for the Civil War Institute next June at Gettysburg College. Uh, they are offering listeners of this program a 15% discount if you decide to go to the CWI conference. It's from June 9 through June 14th in 2023. Use the discount code PAR. Uh, I have no idea what that's short for, but PAR will do it. Um, they have a, a very variety of customizable packages uh, for how long you want to stay there and what you want to do there, but it's always a great show. Uh, highly recommend it. I will be one of the speakers there this year, uh, but you can hear me every week. Uh, you can hear a lot of other speakers as well at CWI, and that is, as always, an unpaid, unsolicited plug. Um, all ads on Civil War Talk Radio are, are unpaid paid as far as I know. At one point, we tried paid advertising on the show, and I assume the advertisers did pay our corporate overlords at, at Voice America. They're, they're not deadbeats. Uh, but none of those proceeds ever showed up at Civil War Talk Radio World Headquarters. Uh, so I've just concluded that, that the agreement on that score was, was not wasn't going the way it was supposed to, so we're just back to the model of free endorsements for things that I actually like and think that you would like also. Um, and one thing I think you will like is tonight's book, uh, titled The Lion and the Fox, Two Rival Spies and the Secret Plot to Build a Confederate Navy. It's not quite out yet. It's going to be published uh, the first week of December 2022. By the time you're listening to this, it may be out there. You can buy it. Uh, the author is Alexander Rose, and he is our guest tonight. Uh, Mr. Rose, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Thanks for having me on. Uh, well, welcome to the show. Glad you could join us. Um, uh, do you go by Alex, Alexander? Uh, uh, my Skippy, late mother used uh, to call me Alexander when uh, she was annoyed with me. But um, since you're a friend, you can call me Alex. I think it's probably... Ac 
better idea. Wonderful. Same here. Anyone who calls me Gerald (laughs) does not know me or it's my mother uh, when she was upset. Uh, So I'm Jerry. You're Alex. That works. So, Alex, let me ask about your background. Uh, If you could share that with our listeners just to get started. Um, uh, You... Is writing books like this your your uh, full time occupation? Uh, well, it is now. I mean, about my background. Um, yeah. You know, uh, I I know I speak funny. Uh, <laughs> I uh, uh, <laughs> I was you know I was born in uh, in New York, uh, but I went to school in Australia and England and worked in England and then I worked in Canada for several years and then I finally just about oh it's got to be ooh I don't know. 20 years now uh, and managed to sort of wend my way back um, to, to, to the U S. So these days I'm in, I'm in New York. Um, You know, I used to be a, a, for a while I was a a journalist, Um, but now, you know, yeah, but you know, for, I'd say since about 2006, I'd be, I've been a full-time, you know, writer Mm -hmm. um, of books that is. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much it. This is the, I think this is number I think this one's number six, mm. I think, coming out. So, uh, you know, right. getting, I, getting I, there. Listeners may recognize uh, the book Washington's Spies that I, th- I think may be uh, the one that is, is most well-known. Partly it's been the source of a television series. So uh, so you've, you've clearly reached a lot of folks with that. Oh, yeah, that was the Washington Spies was my second one. Mm-hmm. Um the, that came out in uh, yeah well I guess the thing that sort of persuaded me to go uh, to go independent um, but yeah that was turned into several years later that was uh, uh, through through no work of my own by the way no influence of my own uh, I uh, it got turned into a, an AMC show called Turn uh, Washington Spies which was uh, which I, I was a producer on and and wrote for and that was on for about four seasons so that was that was a lot of fun too um, uh, so yeah so now I've moved on to the Civil War. So, in terms of background, you did you study history at school? Uh, I didn't study much of anything at school. <laughs> I wasn't a very, <laughs> I wasn't a very good student. But the uh, at university, uh, I did yes, I did uh, I did study history, and uh, then um, you know in, in my uh, you know just I was mostly a sort of a First World War. Um, uh, sort of undergraduate, and then for graduate stuff, I tended to do 1930s, 1940s uh, scientific and uh, defense history. Uh, so I did a for my doctorate, I did a um, uh, I did a, a sort of a, a history of early radar and its influence on the Battle of Britain um, and British politics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but ever since then, I, I you know I tended I tend to just you know move around, as you can tell from the the variety of subjects I I, I happen to have written about. So did the did your dissertation uh, get published, or, or did you is, is <laughs> the the demand for the politics of, of radar and science in the 1930s not not strong? Strangely, enough? the the um, <laughs> the, uh, the the demand. I mean, this what is it? The spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak, or something like that. The um, mm. uh, it, no, no, it is not. It is not published. I did t- I did turn it into an article. Uh, mm-hmm. For an, a journal called, uh, for most of it, for 20th century British history, a, a journal, and mm-hmm. you know, I've been, I've been sort of scavenging from it <laughs> quite a lot over the last several while. I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, you know, for my uh, this book that I'm actually beginning work on now, um, 
about uh, the U-boat war in, in, the, in World War II. It's actually mm. that the stuff on early radar and detection of airplanes is actually very, very useful. So, um, so, 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 so it's all, it, it, you know, it wasn't published, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's sort of resurfaced like a U-boat, I guess, in it, many, uh, many different ways. Perfect metaphor, yes. The, uh, <laughs> but is, isn't that true that one, you know, over the course of a, a career doing history, nothing is ever lost. Uh, you, you can go back to some project you worked on 20 years ago and find something relevant that, that can work its way into the current project. Uh, yeah. so. uh, in, in journalistic uh, talk, it's, that's called recycling. <laughs> <laughs> and I do a so, lot of it. So I'm, one of the things I, I am most interested in the, the world of history is the, uh, the world of public history, of, of people who, who make their living doing history outside of academia. Uh, and one form of that is writing books uh, like like this one, The Lion and the Fox, Two Rival Spies, and The Secret Plot to Build a Confederate Navy. Um, let's jump into that right after the break. We'll, we'll take a short break right now, and we'll come back and discuss this book. We're talking tonight with its author, Alexander Rose. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Alexander Rose, author of The Lion and the Fox, Two Rival Spies, and the Secret Plot to Build a Confederate Navy. Um, Alex, the people listening to this show, uh, I'm sure, are generally familiar with the Alabama, maybe the Alabama claims, the Laird Rams, uh, sort of the rough outlines of the story. Uh, but 
if 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 we went through as I do some weeks, sort of chapter by chapter about a book, that would give away all the good stuff that made this book so entertaining to read. Um, so let me just ask you the broad question, uh, and you can say as much as you want without giving away too much. Uh, what's what's the book about? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, the uh, the book is, I mean, just in a nutshell, without mm-hmm. uh, droning on and, and boring your readers, uh, sort of readers, viewers, uh, listeners, yeah. uh, is that um, uh, it's really about two two rival spies, two rival agents. One uh, a union man, the other one a confederate, who both get sent over to Liverpool in in England, which was the greatest, sort of the mightiest shipbuilding uh, city and port in the world. And uh, the object of the Confederate was to uh, acquire or build or commission a Confederate Navy of blockade runners and uh, commerce raiders like the, the Alabama and, uh, and ironclads like the, like the Rams. Mm-hmm. And the job of the Union fellow, who was the, uh, who was the uh, Union consul in Liverpool, um, man named Dudley, and his job was to stop him. So they played this, this game of... Um, Cat and Mouse, or if you remember that old Mad magazine strip, oh, the Spy, spy versus, versus Spy. Yes, yeah. um, they they played a lot of that for you know from from you know for from the, the virtually the the entire uh, length of the uh, of the Civil War, and and their their rivalry continued, uh, you know, many years after that, and and culminated at the as you mentioned before the Alabama Claims uh, Tribunal. So that's the book in a nutshell. It's about this, you know, about these two 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 men who really disliked each other uh, trying to outfox and, 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 out, and, and outfox the other. So, well, let, let me see if I can put my cards on the table here. When I first got uh, contact from your publicist about the book, then uh, I got a pre-publication copy. I opened it and uh, was reading, uh, let's pick a, practically random page here uh, here's two characters uh, uh, here, here's uh, one of the characters you mentioned uh, Bullock meeting another one uh, the door opened waiting inside was an elegantly dressed man in his mid 30s in a soft Carolinian accent he introduced himself uh, the two of them discuss things and at the end of the chapters uh, the, the second man says uh I have an answer for that. Let's take a walk, he suggested. They could hear the barking and bawling grow louder as he and uh, Priolo approached the plaza, formerly known as the Flags, fondly known as the Flags. Um, when, I'm read, when I read sentences like that, I thought, well, this author can't actually know that they heard barking and bawling grow louder as they approached this place. This public square. It almost certain, almost certainly that they did. Uh, it would be that way every day. But there's, if you were writing, uh, when you're writing your doctoral dissertation, if you would put that in, your advisor would say, well, you know, you need to cite, we need a footnote here, uh, some evidence that they actually heard barking and bawling grow louder as they approached. And since you wouldn't be able to provide one, that detail would be left out. Uh, so when I read that, my first thought was, okay, this is pop history where the guy just makes stuff up and I, I politely declined uh, the request for an interview because we don't do historical fiction on this show uh, not that there's anything wrong with historical fiction it just there's there's just so much history that, that 
we I draw an arbitrary line. That's what we do. Your publicist is a very persuasive person, uh, and I, you should pay him more than you're paying him, whatever it is. Uh, Which is nothing, but <laughs> then then you're you're in excellent shape. Then that's that's the best kind of relationship. Uh, he did not give up, and so I read more of the book, and I found myself sucked in, and I found myself enjoying it, and thinking, okay, this is not academic history, but I'm curious what happens next. Um, and then I looked at the back and and looked a little bit more into your background and discovered, you know, wait, this guy has professional training. He, he does know what footnotes are. Uh, you have a, a thick amount of documentation in the back of this book in a sort of unconventional format, but it's clear that you did an enor- enormous amount of research for this. Uh, so while it reads at some points like a bodice-ripping historical fiction, and I want to stress listeners, no bodices are actually ripped during the book, um, but why do it that way? Why why include the unknowable details that are interesting uh, as opposed to the way you initially were trained to only only say what you could document? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, it's it's really about the role of, and again, I don't I don't do it very often, and I and I, I know I know the the section that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a, 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 a referring to about going to the flags and and right. uh, Bullock meeting uh, uh, Prelo uh, for the first time and and all that kind of stuff. Um, the the point is is that there's I used to, you know, I look I used to keep exactly to um, the historical documentation and right. you know obsessively so if you look at um uh you know even washington spies I mean, just a, mm-hmm. of the trade books not even not even phd stuff uh trade you know um american rifle or men of war and things like that these are all extremely heavily footnoted uh books mm-hmm. and as, as you mentioned so is this one itself um the problem is is that what i've what i've come down to or in the last several years is that it's 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 about to me it's about the role of historical imagination, in that I didn't just make up a story out of whole cloth. Right. Uh, the fact is is that on a certain day, which I will date, uh, mm-hmm. Bullock shows up at at the uh, at the at the office of Fraser Trenum, which is Charles Prelo's sort of front company for the the cotton and and uh, cotton smuggling um, mm-hmm. campaign. Uh, I mean, and you know, Prelo was from South South Carolina. He'd been there. He'd been in Liverpool for a few years. You know, we have the address. We know they met on a certain day. I mean, why wouldn't he introduce himself? They hadn't met each other. I mean, why? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, this, I don't think it's, uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's beyond the the pale to to think. Oh, well, that's probably how they. That's probably how they met. As mm-hmm. for the flags. The fact is, is that there is a lot of baying and barking, and there, there are, you know, many, <laughs> there are many, many uh, eyewitness accounts of what it was like at the flags. And there's a there's a picture in the book uh, of uh, you know of hundreds and hundreds of top hatted gentlemen, um, you know, uh, essentially doing cotton trading at the flags. And uh, you know, if you think about it, it was essentially the the, the precursor to the Chicago Board Board of Trade. You know, those guys in I think it's the in trading uh, trading places. Uh, you know, where they're trading right. futures mm-hmm. and orange juice futures and all this kind of stuff. And 
cotton. So it would have been a bit like that. It's just got a lot of people signaling to each other, you know, uh, through hand signals. You've got dozens and dozens of cotton brokers. You've got uh, cotton merchants. You've got cotton representatives. You've got bankers, all this kind of stuff. So, again, it's did they did Prelo and Bullock take a walk literally around the corner to the flags and Prelo explained how the cotton market works to Bullock? Um, my view is that they probably did. I mean, why wouldn't they? Bullock didn't know anything about cotton trading, and you've got the world expert on it right there. And, and the, the, their whole, their whole, um, you know, this whole escapade depends on knowing a lot about cotton. Um, so again, I think it's, I think it's an, uh, yes. Is it is it a bit of historical imagination? Yes, but I think I think it's well within the bounds of possibility. Um, but, again, you have one has to know where the border is on this sort of stuff. And that's exactly what what intrigued me about this, because there are people who write historical fiction, and some are are wonderful writers, often much better than than academically trained writers. Uh, and and if you read a book, well, if I read a book like that, I'll come away with some some vivid memory of some scene, and I'll think, okay, that's what stuck with me. That was so beautifully presented. I can't forget about it. But I can't use it in my own research. I can't use it in a lecture in class because I don't know if it's actually if it's historical imagination or if it really happened. In this book, as I went along further and further and and would look at your your documentation, um, I gained confidence. I, I said, okay, this works. Uh, this, this guy has clearly done you know a, a substantial amount of research and documented it in without actually putting the f- numbers in the chapters. I don't know if, the, is it because this is a pre-production copy? Uh, no, I'll tell you exactly why it is. I yeah, love footnotes. I adore right. footnotes. If, if I had my way, I would have numbers on a page and I would have the footnotes <laughs> at the bottom of every page. Because there's yes. nothing I need more than having to go to the back and right. they have that system where they have a, you know, a couple of words on a given page and that's the yep. note. I hate that stuff. But this is this is the, the fact is, is this is what publishing is if i i mean i'm a, i'm among the last of them if you read my um previous book empires of the sky about the zeppelin uh pan-american rivalry which know, i'm planning to do now I, I might add Sorry? which i'm planning to do now i i i, I enjoyed the writing of this and that topic intrigues me also but so i <laughs> well, will much longer book. but uh, <laughs> this one i decided to, this one i decided to get, get a little shorter um, for reasons I can explain to you, but which related to the, what I'm about to say, the fact yes. is, is that that has the superscripts, the footnotes, and mm-hmm. I'm among the last of last of the uh, the writers to kind of insist on these things. But you know, um, I'm you know I'm a dinosaur in this respect, and I can't think of a single publisher, trade publisher in in New York or in, anywhere else, right. um, who would who is enthusiastic about putting. Uh, superscripted footnote numbers on a page, uh, let alone you try saying, hey, why don't we put the footnotes uh, you know, in 10-point text at the bottom of the page? I mean, they're going to look at you as if you're insane. It's not going to happen. Um, so we came up with this because they just they, they say their view is, is that the footnotes get in the way of general readers. They, mm-hmm. General readers are not interested in them, and it just it's distracting to the eye having one, two, three, four on a page. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you know, you, you can disagree. I disagree, but you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not the guys running running uh, you know, the the publishers. Um, so we came up with this system whereby, uh, you know, at the, at, at the end of the book, each chapter has 
and every second is each chapter has a long lengthy list of the sources that were used in that particular section um and so it keeps the footnotes out of the way but at the same time it keeps me you know it it, it adheres to my my own sort of personal rule of you know everything gets footnoted and and it's based on documentation aside from you know the occasional little thing about what taking a walk to the flags mm-hmm. um you know so again you know i think it, i think that stuff i think that stuff is critical i don't i don't like making up stuff um you know i mean i read many 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 thousands of pages of 19th century mm-hmm. <laughs> century uh, uh letters from from this that, that you know i got them digitized at the uh, at the national archives which i don't think anyone's ever really read them before so i've done thousands of pages of those um, and it's really just about telling a story. Um, as for this book being a little shorter, which I was talking about earlier, mm-hmm. um, then, you know, the fact is, is that the, the market is simply not there for very long books. I mean, unless you're, you know, I mean, incredibly well, well known and, and you've got a certain reputation for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I tried to sell Empires of the Skies, which is a, you know, a long book. If I tried to sell that now in this market, it would be very difficult to, to get a publisher interested. Um, and I'm more interested nowadays in, in telling, you know, stories in a, in a more compact form, which is what I did with Lion of the Fox. You know, it's nice and short. You can read it on an airplane um, or a train or, or anywhere and listen to audio or, you know, on, on audio, audible. Um, it's a bit more of a, it's a bit more of a, a faster read than I'm, than I'm, 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 you know, used to used to writing, so that that's the sort of explanation behind it. But if you well, it, basically, if you want to know where the source of something is, check check the back of the book; it's there. So, so it it, it, it it's um, not a, a wolf in sheep's clothing looking for the cliche to grab here. Um, but well, let me ask you: this. Did you ever consider write, submitting this to academic publishers who for whom footnotes are are routine? Uh, no, because academic publishers don't pay. Exactly. <laughs> that, that, uh, I, and also, it's it's, pre-gen, you know, yes. it, it's 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 story based. This is this is the story of, you know, this is a character driven uh, spy story. Mm-hmm. You know, taking this to uh, you know, I don't know, uh, Yale University Press or, or, or anyway, right. any of these guys. You know, it's 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 just not in their it's just not their area. Um, <laughs> well, well, that I mean, that is the other thing that distinguishes popular history from academic history is that academic history, you know, makes an argument, has a thesis. Um, popular history typically is narrative-driven, story-driven. Um, it, it, if when I'm reading books for this show, if I have an academic book, I can read the introduction, grasp the author's thesis, skim the chapters, uh, look at a whole page of quotations, go, okay he or she is supporting their thesis in the following way. I don't have to read every word. I guess where they're going with this book. I have to read every page because it's a story. And if I skip a page, one page, I've lost the thread and, and I don't want to skip a page. I'm, I'm it's a page turner. If I'm, uh, I, I want to know how it ends. It, it's much more like a novel in that sense. So it, it, it's it's not an academic history book. Did that ever trouble you, uh, or, or is that is that your your the way you 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 roll now uh, storytelling? Um, yeah, and that's again these are these are fantastic questions. Um, you know, look, I, when I when I came out of uh, doing the the PhD, 
Mm -hmm. I was in PhD mode. If you go back to my first book, which, <laughs> which is, uh, you know, like some 600 page, uh, history of the, uh, Percy Earls and, and Barons of Northumberland. So it's mm -hmm. basically the Anglo Scottish wars of, from about war well, history from about 900 to about 1500. It's like a colossal tome. <laughs> and, <laughs> Which I, I, I think I, I have no idea what, why I did that. But, it, but again, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of footnotes in that. I mean, mm -hmm. there really is. Um, because I was in a mode of, you know, you have to, you know, everything has to be backed up. You've got to, you've, you, you know, you've got to get this past the peer reviewers. Or, or, right. Um, over time, and I, this is really, I think, I think what really pushed me towards this is my experience on, uh, in a writer's room at, at turn you know, mm -hmm. you know, when it was on. And, you know, where um, it's, you know, it's really about, you know, uh, compression and concision and, you know, showing, not telling. And, and you know, um, you know, and just getting to the story and, and keeping it sweet, sweats, you know, moving along, you know, quick cuts, uh, you know, divide your chapter into... Mm -hmm eight sections, you know, each, each almost a scene, you know, if you look at, if you look at the first book, uh, Kings of the North, I've got like 30 or 40 page chapters in there, which I, you know, I would never do nowadays because it's unbearably tedious. Um, even in but Washington, Spies, it's very, very detailed. I mean, I was reading it the other day and mm -hmm. going, Whoa, I, I would, I would, <laughs> I would, uh, I mean, I, I like it, but it's, it's, it's a very complicated, um, kind of almost formal, English in it, whereas nowadays it's a little bit looser. And I think that's just part of the times. You know, it's a uh, we are moving towards you know faster, action-oriented, character-driven, um, uh, you know, uh, history in a way. Speaking and, uh, of, you know, of dividing things into two sections, uh, we're going to have to divide the show into a section and take another break right now. But we'll come right back, talk more with our guest, Alexander Rose, author of The Lion and the Fox, Two Rival Spies, and the Secret Plot to Build a Confederate Navy. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Alexander Rose, author of The Lion and the Fox, Two Rival Spies and a Secret Plot to Build a Confederate Navy. We've been talking about the the nature of the book uh, uh, and, and the nature of popular history in general. Uh, and in many ways, Alex, you're, you're living the dream, uh, someone who, who's trained in academic history, but has found a way to reach a much larger audience through Washington Spies, and I'm sure through this book will be equally successful, uh, to reach a really large audience and present history that is fully documented in in, in maybe a unique way, but, but it, it's not historical fiction. You're not, uh, if the occasional detail is, is imaginatively added, uh, it, it's just, you know, how to say it, a, a little bit of sprinkling uh, on, on the edge of the cake, but, but the bulk of it is, is, is fully documented. And so when I finished this book, I didn't come away as I would after a historical novel thinking, well, I, I don't know what parts to remember and forget. I don't know if I've learned anything or if I've just learned what the author thinks happened. Uh, here I'm confident uh, I know something about Bullock and Dudley and, and these guys and what they did. Um, let's talk more about the book itself. Uh, what what perhaps most grabbed you in the story of these guys is they, one of them tries to build ships in, in Britain for the Confederacy. The other tries to pull on the, the British line's tail and say, hey, look what he's doing, then stop doing that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's pretty much it in a, in a nutshell. I, thought, I, th- I mean, I originally came at it, I, I, I always kind of thought, because um, I'm, I'm quite interested in, in serious intelligence history, you know, mm-hmm. um, you're not the sensationalist kind of rubbish, but the, um, uh, you know, uh, and I was always thinking, you know, because I, 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 I first came across this idea about Bullock and Dudley and this secret Confederate Navy and so on, about, I don't know, it has to be about 10, 12 years ago. I mean, that's, I think, when I wrote down in, a, in some Word document, oh, you know, Civil War Navy guys in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I put it aside and I wrote a couple other books and, and I, I was, but I was always thinking, because it's such a, it, it's such a very, it's a very intricate and complex and Byzantine story. Mm-hmm. And it was, that was, that was the, key i couldn't because there's a way of telling the story that i i honestly could have written uh, could this could have been a five volume uh sort of gibbon-esque uh <laughs> you know multi-volume multi-decade uh you know extravaganza there is there was a way of doing it that way but mm-hmm. because there's you know many hundreds of ships involved there are many many you know characters involved as many many you know and every everything is is overlapping and and you know contradictory and so on so it took me a long time to 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 find the key to the story, and once once I had it, um, I you know like a you know, there's always a, you sort of have a nose for this after one you go that you know that's it this this mm-hmm. is how the structure of the book is, and the structure is actually quite simple. Um, I mean I always knew I wanted to do it in a kind of spy versus spy way, uh, mm-hmm. which is easier said than done, but. 
it was really about dividing the the war up into three phases the book into three phases first um and in a very useful usually it was alliterative uh part one is the the runners mm-hmm. the the blockade that when he built the blockade runners part two is the uh the raiders commerce raiders part three is the ram so R, the three r's kind of thing mm-hmm. um and once I had that, then everything began to slot into that. And then you work, you know, chronologically, you know, how, how things fit in with one another, how you develop the characters, you know, moving them back and forth. Um, and, you know, to, in order to tell a coherent, uh, colorful story. Um, so that's, that's, that's what the, um, you know, that, that's what really sort of turned the key for me on this one. Um, but every book is different. So, mm-hmm. but I, was, I, was, I just got lucky on this one, I think. So in terms of the focus on uh, the American consul at at Liverpool, uh, Dudley, who's trying to alert his superiors and alert the British government that he believes these vessels he he can see being built are actually being built on behalf of the Confederacy. Um, So the the focus is all on him. Uh, Charles Francis Adams, the American minister to, to England, appears in the book, but you know, as a bit character. I don't know if you would have a speaking role in the screenplay. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas in the traditional telling, Adams would be a, a central figure. Yeah. In terms of actual analysis, it, was Dudley really that important compared to, say, Charles Francis Adams? Uh, yes, because Adams couldn't have operated uh, as he was the minister to London. He couldn't mm-hmm. have operated without Dudley's intelligence coming mm-hmm. from Liverpool. Uh, you know, otherwise it's just him bringing his suspicions to Earl Russell at the Foreign Office, who is the the Foreign Secretary. Um, it was Dudley who was bringing in the the raw data, the hard information, um, and that's what part of the, the you know when I, I think I mentioned earlier the you know several thousand pages of of Dudley's reports to mm-hmm. the State Department that went through Adams's. I mean, it was like some of them are incredibly tedious. But the um, but what he did was you know, over the years he was compiling this list of ships that were breaking the blockade with their names and owners and and cargoes and you know he was using his little uh, little uh, an Irish detective called Maguire to start poking around uh, the dockyards and so on. So essentially, you know, I, and I, I you know, the book was about uh, Dudley versus Bullock, and so mm-hmm. every basically everyone else in it is, as you say, a, a sort of a side character. Mm-hmm. Um, including the, you know, the 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 worthies uh, up, up above, um, and you know, Lincoln has a kind of a, I think a line or two. And that's about it. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, well, fairly important me, person in many other respects. Another thing that just occurs to me is we were talking about the difference in public and academic history, or, or popular history and academic history, is that, that popular history is typically just compiled from secondary sources. And, and here we've talked about how much research you did. What, were, what was the biggest thing you found that you from primary research that wasn't in any of the secondary sources? Uh, what, what do we know now from this book that, that wasn't known before? Um, well, yeah. To your to your uh, to your point, I actually don't like a bunch of secondary sources. I prefer to mm-hmm. go to, to the quarry. I prefer to go to the <laughs> archive and just find the stuff. Because you know what's extraordinary to me is is <laughs> it sounds uh, a little odd, but you'd be amazed how many people think that if it's not online, it doesn't really exist. Mm. <laughs> so, uh, but if but there's you know. 
billions of sheets of paper and documents in the world's archives that are, are never going to be online. You have to go and find them and you have to do that work. And, um, you know, and so that's what I did here. I didn't actually read that many uh, secondary books. One reason being I, I don't like when I'm actually working on a subject, I don't like to read a lot of books about that subject because it tends mm-hmm. to influence you too much. Right. Um, and you start thinking, well, my book's not like that one. And then so you started hearing to their views without having your own original ideas but mm-hmm. so it's like i did that with washington spies too i mean it was the you know that you know you just go to the library of congress and you go look at the the papers of the spies themselves and you spend a lot of time uh you know reading them um and uh, you know that's what i did in this case but so there's colossal amounts of surprises so one of the big surprises um was that uh you know uh, you know i don't want to overcomplicate things but you know Dudley compiles this master list of um, suppliers and financiers and uh, bankers and 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 shipyard owners and so forth and blockade runners and things um, who are in this sort of vast um, you know network and they're all working together to undermine the uh, the Foreign Enlistment Act the British uh, law um, mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, you know, statute regarding this, and and, and he's comp- and they're, they're putting in money and they're raising money to to build more ships and so on. And, and it is it is a kind of a, a, this fascinating and 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 uh, you know fascinating aspect of the whole thing that that Dudley spent many months investigating this and coming up with the names and places and put and, and again and sending it all back to to Adams and the State Department. Um, so it's an amazing bit of of intelligence work that went on there. Mm-hmm. Um, that you really have to kind of appreciate. You go, this is this is genius. And then the other one is, uh, I think, when the, when a when a when a, a kind of a defector from the the Alabama yes. uh, over <laughs> the, the the great uh, Clarence Young, one of the great um, one of the great uh, uh, frauds and charlatans of our of of the era, um, comes over and he's willing to trade everything he knows about the Alabama and Bullock and the whole Confederate um, campaign. Uh, you know, basically for a return ticket to the U.S. and to be paid off. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's quite a fascinating uh, creature himself. But all that sort of stuff comes from, you know, a deep reading of the documents. And that's that's there's no way else there's nowhere else about it. But you can get too involved in documents after a while. You have to lift yourself out occasionally and just see the big picture and tell the story. Otherwise, it's just a you know that's the problem that I find with a lot of academic work, which I've done myself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is, is that you can fall too much in love with facts. Yeah. And, um, and you just want to get it. Sometimes you just have to, you know, to have a broad sweep, you know, like, you know, Parkman and uh, Prescott in the 19th century or Gibbon. You know, these guys sometimes, you know, they just it's a, it's, you know, they sweep you along the story without getting too caught up in the in the in the little tiniest details. It's all about the color, really. And and your story has so many moments to get swept up in the the. Uh... Uh, the times when, when you think, oh, he's got him now. He, he's they're they're gonna catch them red-handed. Uh, they'll just go down to the dock and they show up and the ship is gone. Like it disappeared an hour before the the law gets there. You know, mm-hmm. these these things that would be coincident if it were a novel, I would say, okay, you know, enough making stuff up. But <laughs> but it really happened that way. 
Yeah, and it's 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 it, it, to get to get to that stage, you really have to read, um, you know, a lot of the printed sources. You know, the you know in the nineteenth century, the British, well, they like the Americans. You know, they had the official his, the, the official records of the right um, of, of the war, which you know it was an extraordinary uh, achievement. It was part of this whole Victorian idea of just cataloging everything that, everything. Was, that was that was and it's an amazing achievement, which just stands the test of time. But, you know, the British had the same thing, and they had their own. I mean, hundreds of volumes of, and they, for some reason, they always used sort of seven point font, which is oh. almost unreadable uh, <laughs> to me, to me, at least mm. I have to use a magnifying glass, um, you know, just containing all of the documentation that they had from the, the, from the foreign office and the, the and 10 Downing street and the various ministries and the customs officials and Liverpool and all this kind of stuff, but it's all mixed up and it's all over the place. Um, so you have to put that in strict chronological order to work out what one official is saying to another, um, and then and then mix that or combine that with what uh, what is actually happening on the street in Liverpool and what's happening, uh, you know, with Bullock uh, himself, the Confederate agent, um, who's a very complex uh, figure. Alex, we have just a, a couple of minutes left. Um, you've you've worked on this book on on and Washington spies. Uh, I understand you also have social media presence uh, regarding uh, spy stories. Oh yeah, no. I uh, several months ago I started a, a Substack newsletter uh, for free, and it's called Spionage, and it comes out every couple of weeks. And I just take a, a case of historical espionage because I, I have a, a vast database of these things that I've collected over the over the decades. Um, you know, so one day, sometimes I use 17th century spy stuff. Sometimes I use 16th. Other times I do World War II. I just skip back and forth. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if anyone wants to subscribe, uh, it's just, um, you know, alexanderrose.substack.com or just look for a spionage at, um, at you know, at, at the Substack website. It should be there. Well, that's uh, one way to keep track of what uh, of what you're doing and listeners to find out what what happens with the lion and the fox uh with these these two rival spies and the plot to build a confederate navy uh you'll want to get the book of that title as we're speaking today it's still november 2022 but this book will be out in december of 2022 and uh i i overcame my initial resistance and i'm so delighted i did because it was really a fascinating book uh and and alex it's been a pleasure talking with you about it well, thanks for having me on. It's been a fantastic, uh, good, good workout with the questions tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and, and listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.